The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, from verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The second reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, sorry? Peter 2. Oh, you're in Second Peter. You need to be in First Peter. First Peter. Yeah, first Peter. I'm sorry. sorry. That's okay. No problem. Sorry about that. Okay. It's better. First Peter 2, chapter 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The third read, reading is Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Christ God forgave you. Oh, sorry. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with hymns, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be, thanks be to God. God. 
Keep your Bibles open to that passage from Ephesians 5 this morning as we come to continue our look at this book of Ephesians together. Be careful then how you live. And they're challenging words of Paul, aren't they, as we come to this chapter, as he urges us to live lives that stand out as, as, a, as a testimony to the truth of the gospel. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has spent a lot of time teasing out the beauty and the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he highlights God's grace and mercy and love. In chapter 4, he starts to emphasise the fact that God has entrusted the church with the gospel and to make Christ known in the world. And then midway through chapter 4 and into chapters 5 and 6, Paul begins to tangibly and very practically provide a picture of what that looks like, what it looks like to be showcasing Christ to the world as individuals and as the church and in our relationships with others. That includes our marriages, our families and even in our work situations. There's this huge emphasis on what it looks like to make Christ known in this dark world that we live in. And that's where we again pick up Paul's train of thought in Ephesians chapter 5. Now I don't know about you but I think the last couple of weeks have been a bit heavy going in some ways, haven't they? Paul has hit us with a lot of do nots. Yeah, do nots. Paul says don't do this, don't do that. In our passage last week Paul said don't be like the Gentiles, don't give yourself over to sensuality, in your anger, don't sin, don't give the devil a foothold, don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, and so on. A lot of don'ts. And although Paul also gave us some positive action to do in each of those cases, it's possible that he may have touched a few raw nerves within us, yeah, as he mentions some of the weaknesses that we might find that we struggle with. And then we come to chapter 5, and it seems to start all over again. Yeah, I mean, why is Paul putting such a strong emphasis on holy living? Well, because Paul is laying out for us and for the Ephesian church what it means and what it looked like, or what it looks like, to, to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to represent Christ in the world. And his answer is, we need to demonstrate by the way we live and the way we behave that in Christ there is a far better hope and future. If you look back to the last words of chapter 4, it ends by saying, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And that verse is a springboard for us that launches us into chapter 5, where Paul says that your love for others has to flow out of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Please notice that Paul does not say, follow God's example to become dearly loved children. He doesn't say, follow God's example so that you might be worthy of being God's children. Paul Paul specifically says here, follow God's example because you are dearly loved children. When it comes to the Christian life, the motivation has to be God's love for you in Jesus Christ. That's also true for us as a church. The thing that drives our our worship, our praise, our thoughts and our actions has to be the love of Christ. Because without that, without the love of Christ, we have nothing. We are nothing and we actually produce nothing. And Paul has already established this back in chapter 2 where he says that these Ephesian Christians and us were dead in their transgressions and sin in which they used to live. But now because of of God's great love for them, God who is rich in mercy made them alive with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. So when you envision the Christian life when you envision what it is like to walk in the way of love, it all flows out of Christ's love for you. The way of love, the way of real gospel love, is to love others selflessly and sacrificially. As the church, as the body of Christ, it should be a place where that love is to be experienced and a place where that love is to be found and then showcased to the world. So Paul goes on in verse 3 and he says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people, God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Paul lists three things, sexual immorality, impurity and greed. And he says, make sure that no one can accuse God's people of any of these things and make it stick. Don't let a hint of these things be among you. The body of Christ should be squeaky clean when it comes to sexual immorality and impurity and greed. But sadly, we know that's not the case, don't we? Sadly, look at the results of the recent Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse. This is definitely not the case for the church. And how sad that is. Paul says here, we need to be squeaky clean. Well, it's time for God's church to stand up, isn't it? To stand up for gospel truth and to stand up for genuine, authentic love that reflects the love of Christ. Paul says we are to be Christ-shaped, not culture-shaped. We need to stand out in an otherwise morally corrupt world. Paul says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. 
I find it interesting that if you look at most, if, if not all, the reality TV shows that we have coming through our channels at the moment, and even in the past, a lot of the conversations and behaviour could be summarised by these very things that Paul's talking about, yeah? Sexual immorality, greed, obscenities, coarse language, sexual innuendos. And they're all being presented to us as though this is all just harmless fun and pleasure. It comes across to us, you know, as though this is just all part of normal life. And yet Paul says we are to be Christ-shaped rather than culture-shaped. We are to be shaped by the gospel and God himself and the example of Christ rather than the society we live in. But in the middle of all this darkness, Paul sees huge gospel opportunities because it is in the darkness that light shines most brightly. I think that's sort of the gist of verse 16 where he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil or maybe because the days are dark. Paul says, as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, live in such a way that when people encounter you, they can't help but give glory to God. Verse 8 says, for you were once dark, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Paul says, instead of being in darkness where you once were, you are to live as children of light because that's what you are now. And to live as children of light, he says, you need wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom to find out what pleases the Lord. And wisdom comes only through the Spirit of God. Back in chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul prayed that God, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Wow. Live as children of light. And we need to be reminded that light is powerful. This light is powerful because Jesus is powerful. The Apostle John in chapter 1 of his Gospel says, Jesus is the light of all mankind and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Jesus Christ drives out darkness. It exposes the deeds of darkness. And as children of light, God uses us as part of this divine process. But to be the light of Jesus shining out into the world, we first need to have the light of Jesus shining right here in his church. I think that's what Paul is getting at in verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, 
rather expose them. The church should be a place where we can talk about the difficult and dark things in our lives. We need to be people who are willing to be challenged personally about some of those areas in our lives. Yeah? Not to judge, not to condemn, not to gossip about those to others, but with the objective of helping and healing, of speaking the truth in love to one another because it is the light that brings freedom. It is in the light that there is true freedom. Verse 15 says, Be careful then how you live. Live carefully, live thoughtfully, pay attention to what you do and you say and you think. It's quite staggering how many people in the church seem to get caught up in the same sorts of sins that we see in the world around us because it's just the way that people do things in our society today. Stretching the truth, living with loose morals, telling coarse jokes, being greedy, stepping on each other in order to get that promotion at work. Yet Paul is saying that's not on. That's just not on. You cannot continue to live as the Gentiles around you do. Now that you are in Christ, you are to live in unity with other Christians and live in a way that will distinctively reflect your faith and your trust in God. Paul says, take great care in the way you conduct your life. Be genuine, be deliberate and be wise. Hey, if something is important to you, then you will go to any Length, won't you? Any sort of trouble to make sure that we get it right. If clothes and your appearance is important to you, then you will stand in front of a mirror for ages, yeah? If your car is important to you, then you will spend whatever time and money it takes to make sure it turns people's heads or maybe sends them deaf. And so it is with the Christian life. You must treat your relationship with Jesus Christ seriously and pay close attention to the way you live. Paul's big idea here is that there is no point in accepting the truth about God and his son Jesus Christ if that truth does not shape or change our lives. We need to treat our relationship with Jesus Christ seriously. And one of the ways we do that is by paying close attention to the way, to the way that we live as God's people. Now that's not being fanatical. That's being biblical. Paul says to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and doctrine closely. From verse 15 and onwards, Paul gives us three contrasts to explain what he means. Three times he says again, not this, but that. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. We need to live wisely, don't we? 
We must live in the light of truth instead of groping around in darkness. How do we gain wisdom? Well, James gives us a helpful idea in his letter. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all and it will be given to them. Now, wisdom is a popular theme in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, there are books in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, that are referred to as wisdom literature because they take the Old Testament law, the Torah, and they apply it to a whole host of practical ways of living in the real world. You see, in Jewish thought, to be truly wise was to be skilled in all aspects of holy living, of living in harmony with God's standards and God's design. Jewish thought didn't see you know, being wise as being uh, as something of the mind, intellectually brilliant. It was to be skilled in all aspects of holy living. The book of Proverbs reminds us that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And it continues as we acknowledge the truth of his ways. Now, the opposite of being wise is, of course, being unwise. Those who are unwise live as though God doesn't exist or they live ignoring God they do not understand the things of God. As Christians, then, it is unwise to live in a way that reflects the ungodly lifestyle of the non-Christian world. In fact, this is so important that Paul warns us in verse 3 that there must not even be a hint of such things among us. Christians, um, sorry, or rather Christian living involves a whole new set of values a new motivation and a new purpose in life that God himself produces in us through the Holy Spirit. We are to understand God's will. You see that in verse 17? Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, in the Bible, the fool is not just simply someone who is mentally challenged or irresponsible, the fool is someone who says in their heart, there is no God. How many of you have a front door in your house? Yeah? I think we mostly all do. And doors are very helpful things because they keep some things in, like warmth and family and our personal belongings. And they keep some things out, like cold winds and thieves and uh, tax collectors. It's a place of discernment. It's a place of where you make decisions of what you will let in and what you will keep out. Well, one of the Hebrew concepts of the human mind was that the mind has a door and a fool is someone who has that door open all the time. Everything flew in and everything flew out. And Paul says, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Understand God's will. Understand how God would have you think and live. As John Stott once said, the will of God for the people of God 
is found in the word of God. Now, there will always be lots of people who will try and tell you what you should be doing, yeah? But we need to discover what the will of the Lord is and then apply his unchanging truths to our circumstances. Are you walking wisely? Are you finding out what God's will is? In verse 18, Paul goes on and says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, <coughs> be filled with the Spirit. Now let me just say right up front that Paul is not saying here that it's okay to get drunk with gin or beer or vodka. It means don't get drunk. That is how both of these phrases are used here about being drunk and being filled with the Spirit imply a control over an individual by an outside force. Or maybe with the Holy Spirit from an inside force. A force that strongly influences our thinking and our conduct, our conduct and our judgment. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for living the Christian life. That's why Paul says in the negative sense, don't get drunk with wine because alcohol depresses your senses and can lead you into sin. When you're drunk, you lose control of your faculties. I mean, you don't find a lot of drunk people being commended for their wise decisions. Quite the opposite. A drunk person usually makes a fool of themselves. When someone becomes drunk, the alcohol takes over. That's why we describe a drunk driver as someone who is driving under the influence. And that's because alcohol is something that ends up controlling our minds and our behaviour. Don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And then follows a series of present participles to show us what the fullness of the Holy Spirit looks like. Verse 19, addressing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we'll look more closely at verse 21 next week. Paul has but one word, do you notice that? One word for the effects of too much wine. And that word is debauchery. And it's a strong word with a root meaning of self-destruction, which of course is sadly what alcoholism is, self-destruction. And that is in stark contrast here with the life-giving and upbuilding work of the Holy Spirit. I think we can all imagine what a group of drunken people are like, loud and ungodly behaviour. Just walk past one of the pubs or nightclubs in Northbridge on a Saturday night. But what do Christians do when they get together? Verse 19. They use biblical words given by God, expressed in contemporary songs to encourage and to strengthen one another. Their hearts are engaged in sincere praise of God. They want to mutually build each other up and together they want to bring their thanksgiving to God for everything. 
for everything that God has done for them in Jesus Christ and is doing within their lives. Spirit-filled people want to be with God's people. They want to encourage one another. They want to praise God wholeheartedly and they want to give him thanks, yeah? Especially for having completely turned their lives around. It makes for a positive, praising community of joyful Christians. And how attractive that will be to a self-destructive world. And the whole adventure of walking wisely is a dynamic gift of God through the Holy Spirit who lives in our very lives. That's why verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Walking with God begins for us at the cross here where Jesus died for our sins, where we repent and say sorry and believe that Jesus took my guilt, my punishment in dying for me in my place on that cross. And there as I express my faith in Jesus Christ, I receive forgiveness through God's grace. And God comes and lives within me through his Holy Spirit. Living the Christian life, living wisely, is not something natural. It is actually something supernatural. For God lives in us by his Spirit. He's the source of our new life. He's the source of our love. He's the source of our purity. He's the source of our wisdom. And yes, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that verb in verse 18, to be filled, is in the passive tense. It is God, through the Holy Spirit, who does the filling. This is not something that we can somehow achieve on our own. It is God who fills us. We don't need to go on and uh, some great quest to find the Holy Spirit. We don't need to keep on performing certain rituals or routines in order to try and persuade God to give us more of the Holy Spirit. We don't need some great charismatic person to lay hands on us so that we can somehow miraculously receive what we didn't get in the first place. The New Testament says very clearly that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. It doesn't say you receive 50% of the Holy Spirit, there's more to come. The Spirit of God indwells every Christian believer 100%. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think it's possible to have the Spirit resident in your life but not dominant in your life. Yeah? I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is to be dominant in your life. It's to be the dominant influence in your life. As a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit, but we need to let the Holy Spirit have all of us. We, let, we need to let him be the controlling influence over all that we do and say. And that's got to be a continuing prayer, for, prayer point for us, doesn't it? For each one of us, we need to be asking God to continually fill us with his Spirit that we're yielding our lives to him and to his control. For it is God who gives life. It is God who gives us love. It's God who gives us light and wisdom as we walk 
with him. <coughs> hey, is God simply a part of your life? Or do you love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength? Do you walk with God day by day? Or as some people ask, do you just visit him on Sundays? Paul says, be careful then how you live. Something that we all need to reflect on prayerfully and daily. But before a person can walk with God, before you can be one who is wise, you must simply come in faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, his son. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for the redemption we have in Christ. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we ask that you will help us to be people who respond to your love, who respond to your Holy Spirit's indwelling and guidance and directions in a way that means we will live a way that pleases you, that is attractive to others in the outside world as being very different, very different to the way the world behaves around us. And that will attract them to you and to your son, Jesus. Again, we thank you for your forgiveness because these things we don't always do perfectly. We sin, we foul, well, we, we, we fail, we foul up on occasion. But Father, there we again thank you for your ongoing forgiveness and restoration and healing. Father, we ask that you will grant us wisdom and understanding what your will is and then help us to live in that way. For we want to give you our thanks and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.